When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarie, Scott Pasco, Ellis Williams breaking down this big Monday nighter. We're bringing it to you on Friday, so you got plenty of time to consume this puppy. And we're going to dig in both sides of the ball. So, what we like to do on our kind of Fridays now is set up the game ahead of time with numbers and film breakdowns. Ellis in part two is kind of going to talk about this Ravens defense and how the Browns offense might attack it. But Scott in, pack, in part one is going to dig in on the Browns defense, which is, you know, kind of been going through some things, but also might be getting back to closer to who it this defense can really be. So we appreciate everybody making Gotta Watch the Tape part of your Browns experience. It's every Tuesday and every Friday. You're listening to the Orange and Brown talk the rest of the time in this podcast feed. We know you are because that's really good analysis of the team in a lot of different ways. Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Lobby and then Ellis and Scott and Terry Pluto and maybe me. And we all work through that podcast as well. And of course, that postgame pod. you got to be part of that postgame podcast right after the game. And then got to watch the tape. We just go a little different way, right? We just dig in a little deeper on some stuff. And I learn. I learn. I hope you learn. Scott and Ellis, they're the profs, man. Professor Patsko, Professor Williams. So it's been fun. It's been a really good time for us to dig in on this. Honestly, for real, if we were doing like a film and numbers podcast, I'm like, let's dig in on the 1-15 in 15 Cleveland Browns. It'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, hey. Uh, what do you a lot think? of digging in the same hole, I think, if we'd done that. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to dig in the same hole. We're, we like to dig new holes every week. So... It's been fun. We've gotten good response. We appreciate everybody who's part of it. So let's get right to it. Scott Patsko, kick us off. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. So let's start off, uh, I guess, with a recap of what went wrong for the Browns defense in week one. And in case you've forgotten what happened to the Browns in week one uh, defensively, just go back to that Browns-Titans game and reverse everything. Because the Browns were the Titans in week one. They were turning the ball over. You know, they were falling behind early, trailing big at halftime. Defensively, receivers are running free. They couldn't get off the field on third down. It was just, it was not a, uh, a solid start. And, well, we can throw blame around uh, and probably point a little bit at the offense. The defense did not have uh, a good opening, opening week. Uh, the Ravens scored on four of their five possessions in the first half. And the drive that didn't end in a score – Ended with a fumble at the Browns' seven-yard line. So things could have been worse than 24-6 at halftime. And I'm sure you remember Lamar Jackson looked like the reigning MVP, 20 of 25, passing for 275 yards and three touchdowns. In the first half, though, he was 13 of 16, 208 yards, two touchdowns. His passer rating was 158.3, and you can't get any better than that. So that's what the Browns dealt with in the first half and falling behind. The Ravens opened the game with an eight-play drive, and they didn't face a third down on it, and it kind of only got worse from there. Ravens were five of six in the red zone, which uh, is a trend that hasn't held up for them this season. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but that was uh, a rough outing for the Browns there as well. The Browns had a lot of things that we've seen 
uh, repeatedly since week one. They did reasonably well against the run. They held the Ravens to 107 yards. Mark Ingram had 3.1 yards per carry. J.K. Dobbins, 2.9. Uh, Lamar Jackson, seven rushes for 45 yards. But on designed runs, it was five carries for 23 yards and one first down. So the running game didn't uh, gouge them as bad as one might have thought. But the defense really struggled against the pass. Nobody received a pro football focus pass defense grade above 65, except for Malcolm Smith, who was only on the field for nine coverage snaps. Uh, they got pressure on Jackson 14 times, but he was eight of 10 with a touchdown on those dropbacks. He was sacked twice. Uh, one of those was on a blitz by Tavier Thomas. So they weren't really getting to the quarterback with Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. Uh, but the game really exposed a lot of the concerns that we had going into the season with the Browns linebackers and the Browns safeties. Both Carl Joseph Andrews and Deho were dinged for touchdowns when uh, they either left their area in coverage or there wasn't enough communication between the linebacker and safety, or just, there just wasn't enough realization from either one of those guys to what was happening. Um, Mark Andrews ended up with two touchdowns because of that. So it was a rough start, but really starting the season with a new coach, a new scheme, almost an entirely new back seven against the Ravens, who, of course, you know, led the league in scoring, led the league in rushing, second overall, I believe, in total yards last season. That's a worst-case scenario for the Browns' defense based on what they had coming into the season, and that's how they started. We talked – everybody talked so much about continuity in the pandemic and the teams who were returning coaches, who were returning key players. They were just going to have an edge on everybody who's trying to start over, implement new systems, and did not have anything close to a normal offseason. And it felt like, Scott, everything that we watched in week one and everything that you just described from week one – you can't throw it out because also, by the way, the wrinkle into all of this is that the Browns defense actually kind of did some good stuff against the Ravens the year before when they were one of two teams to beat Ravens, the Ravens of the regular season. So I don't know how that factors in, but it, I, you can't do it. But of all that analysis, how much are you inclined to throw out based on it was week one, it was the new staff and that, you know, like, is it, 20% you would say it's it's really just the continuity in week one is it 40% is it 80% because some of the stuff you're talking about it's not like it got fixed magically but how do how should we interpret that it was week one for new guys and how much was that a deal there are people on this defense and that I'll we'll get to a little bit here that have definitely improved since then or definitely improved over the second half of the season in week one though you had uh, and we've talked about this BJ Goodson in a position that he hasn't really been in on a consistent basis. He kind of kick-started what has turned into his most snaps and his most coverage snaps of the season. You had Tavier Thomas, you know, at slot. You had a lot of some guys like that who have either improved or who, who aren't on the field as much anymore. So if you want to go back and say, well, how much should they really had success in week one? If you want to put a percentage on it, I, I, would, I would say, man, I would say at least half of their issues were probably because everything was so new and of who they're playing. Because again, we saw communication issues uh, in the back of the defense and guys who weren't expected to be in roles that they ended up being in. So I don't know. I would put it at half. Ellis, I think Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator was talking about this some on Friday, sort of saying like, he didn't think he called a great game in week one. Right. And again, it's like Joe Woods is like, okay, well, here are your pieces. You know, Miles Garrett's good. 
you know, Denzel Ward's good, but you're trying, you know, Roddy Harrison wasn't playing yet. You're a lot of Grant Delpit, you know, we just gotten hurt in camp. How much, what about that, Ellis? The idea of Joe Woods, first year defensive coordinator, just trying to figure out the best way to use the guys that he has. And by the way, the first game was against a team with huge continuity, including the reigning MVP. There's so much of this conversation of what Scott's doing, what I'm going to do in the back half that mirror each other just in completely opposite ways, because I would say the same thing about Kevin Stefanski offensively. He would say he didn't call a good game and the game plans don't even look like anything we're seeing now. So sticking with the defense, Joe Woods just did not have a complete understanding of how to attack a Baltimore offense. And on top of that, which Scott I'm sure is going to get into and kind of already has, this just isn't the same Baltimore offense. There weren't as many spots to attack, which now 14 weeks later, there are some soft spots that I'm sure this defensive coaching staff are kind of wet at the mouth about getting sicking some guys after. So it's again, just two different teams and the circumstances of which both Kevin Stefanski and Joe Woods had to prepare for the rating MVP and two-time AFC North champions. It's just, it was a tough situation and in a case we almost have to, again, as we kind of been doing all season, throw out the window. These are two completely different clubs on both sides of the ball. So Scott, I mean, this is the simplistic view, but as you now, we, we talk about what has changed. So from 20,000 feet, the Browns defense is, should be a little bit better than it was in week one. And the Ravens offense is a little bit worse than it was in week one. Is that sort of the baseline here? Uh, you would think <laughs> uh, the big change with the Brown with the Ravens. And we'll start with them is, is the offensive line. They have one player, uh, their left guard, Bradley Bozeman, who's playing the same position he started the season in. Uh, they lost Ronnie Stanley uh, seizing any ending ankle injury six weeks ago. Orlando Brown has moved over to left tackle since then, and they've shuffled along the interior of the line as well. Um, the Ravens have used both uh, DJ Fluker and Tyree Phillips at right tackle since then. I think it was Fluker who came in for Stanley in week one. He left that game like in the third quarter with an injury. Uh, so you've kind of used both of them at right tackle since then. Uh, but the thing is, Jackson's only been sacked five times in the last four games. And the Cowboys didn't hit him even once. And I know it's the Cowboys, and that's – that's a defense where you can get everything back on track against them, but it isn't like this offensive line has become a sieve, you know, since, uh, since losing Ronnie Stanley, moving Orlando Brown over per PFF grading, the Ravens offensive line is sixth in pass blocking. Uh, they've dropped to 17th in run blocking last year. They were first in pass blocking and third in run blocking. So you can see that uh, there's a little bit of a difference uh, from what we saw from them last season. The other noticeable change uh, or another noticeable change compared to week one the formations the Ravens are using. The Ravens used 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers on the field, 52% of the time uh, this season, which is still the, below the league average of 60, but the Ravens are third in the league in rushing attempts. So they got wide receivers on the field and they're still running the ball. Last year, the Ravens ran out 11 personnel almost 50% of the time. So they dropped a little bit in that about 42% this year, but again, they're still using 11 personnel at a higher rate than you would expect. And then they're using 12, 21, 22, all between like 13 and 60% of the time. So they, they do vary it, but in week one, they kind of went against all the trends and all the things that they showed last season. They used 11 personnel, just 40% of the time against the Browns. And when they did have two tight ends 
on the field, uh, which was 11 plays, they passed out of that 10 times. Jackson was seven of eight on those plays. The Ravens still pass more out of 12 personnel, but it's 55%, not 91% like, like week one. So the Browns were kind of dealing on the go with the Ravens doing things that didn't line up with, you know, what they were expecting to see based on last season. The Ravens passing offense, which led the league in DVOA last season, and it looked like it was heading for that spot again after week one. They're at 22nd in passing DVO this season. Jackson completed over 66% of his passes last season. And despite starting the season completing 80% against the Browns, he's down to 63.8, which is kind of like in between where he was as a rookie and where he was last season. And we knew the Ravens offense was going to regress. And I think Jackson's really been a prime example of, of that. And Ellis, I think in your, in your preview, you pointed out uh, of the game on, on Cleveland.com, he ranks 21st in yards per attempt, 20th in QBR. Last season, he was 12th in yards per attempt. He was first in QBR. So it's a step back for Jackson. Despite all that, though, the Ravens still lead the league in rushing. They're 169 yards a game, which is almost 10 yards ahead of the second-place Browns right now. Uh, they had 294 yards against the Cowboys uh, on Sunday. And, again, not that you know the Browns, as you remember, uh, looked great on the, on the field. Ernest Johnson was breaking off big runs against them back in, uh, what was it, week four. But the Ravens kind of got back on track now that they've gotten through the coronavirus issues. Mark Ingram is healthy again, and they just kind of exploded on the ground uh, against the Cowboys. As for the Browns, the number of people to make their way in and out of the lineup since week one, you know, we've had Ronnie Harrison. We've had linebackers return. We've had, you know, Miles Garrett in and out of the lineup. But assuming Denzel Ward is able to play, the only difference from week one will be the addition of Kevin Johnson in the slot and Mac Wilson at linebacker. Not that those are minor details, but remember Tavier Thomas started in the slot in week one. At that point, he only had 20 career defensive snaps. He had 28 against the Ravens. He graded at 48.8 in coverage, and he was responsible for one of the touchdowns. Sione Takitaki started that game, 92% of the snaps against the Ravens. He hasn't been above 35% since week three. So that's been a big change uh, since then. And again, Mac Wilson uh, kind of emerging uh, over the last few weeks has also been a change. But at the end of the day, outside of the Ravens offensive line, you're still going to see a, a Ravens offense that looks very similar to week one. And the Browns trying to defend that with pretty much the same people they had on the field in week one. I'll tell you what, I, I have not analyzed it up close. I mean, clearly there has been a Lamar Jackson regression this year, and it feels like the Browns in week one got like leftover Lamar from the MVP year, and he has not been that same player since then. And, you know, it seems like a lot of people say, okay, well, the offensive line, that that certainly hurts. When you lose Ronnie Stanley, who's one of the best left tackles in the game, that's an issue. But you're also pointing out it's not like, he's getting sacked 20 times a game, right? So he, st- he has a decent stable of running backs. They have not used Hollywood Brown very much in the passing game. He's been frustrated as their number one receiver this year. Part of what I, I, I am very intrigued by in this game is the Browns saw good Lamar in week one. I don't know how much have we, has anybody seen the best Lamar Jackson since then. And is he for some reason going to show back up again in this game or will the Browns just see sort of the Lamar Jackson, who's just not getting it done as much Scott. It's very, I mean that you took us all the way full circle that a lot of stuff has changed for these teams, but actually now that we're getting settled back in, 
there's not all that much different. Alice, are, that's a confusing point of this game for me. What to expect from Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And w- trying to figure out this Ravens offense has been confusing all year. I wonder, you know, when Scott said they still are leading the league in um, <clears throat> rushing, that kind of surprised me. And I, I'd be curious to see what their yards per carry averages compared to last year. And also how much that um, Cowboys game just has now bumped their averages up. Because when you watch them on tape, they're just not the bully ball team that they were last year. They're not mauling teams up front and having their way at the line of scrimmage. Lamar Jackson is getting into more challenging third and eights, third and nines. And then on top of that, you mentioned Hollywood Brown. This team is made a mistake drafting smaller receivers, in my opinion. They were had a lot of success last year, like the Browns and 13 personnel, and especially in 12 when they could have two tight ends on the field, sometimes three bigger body targets. Hayden Hurst departed, went to Atlanta. They still have Mark Andrews. But when you take away a two or three tight ends, I mean, this is another podcast, but imagine how different this offense, this Browns offense would look if only Austin Hooper was the only you know tight end that you could put on the field be a completely different team. And I think that's what's going on with the Ravens right now. Can Lamar Jackson come to Cleveland? And when you, point is this, the Cowboys game, it looked like Lamar was just trying to put the whole team on his back and run around like crazy in his drop back. And sometimes in his drop back, not even really looking to throw, just look to run. That's Lamar. I'm anticipating Monday night. Can that Lamar be stopped? I don't know. But as for the rhythmic um, read option, attack the middle of the field, Lamar Jackson, that we saw in week one, that's not the Ravens' offense anymore. They try to do it, but they're incapable. And I it know seems Scott, like teams. I was going to say right. teams have noticed that you know last year he tore it up in the middle of the field, and everybody wants to push him outside. And uh, teams have been a little more successful. I think from the people who and I read a lot of Baltimore coverage of you know local reporters, and one of the things that kept coming up was how in the beginning of the season, Lamar Jackson wanted to pass through everybody. The Baltimore Ravens wanted to prove that he could pass through everybody, and there's been a switch and now they realize that, you know, running is still the thing that they do the best. And he's not trying to make those throws like he was maybe earlier in the season. And, you know, having a week one game like he did against the Browns, I'm sure would make you think that maybe that was the course you should go on, but uh, it's, it's certainly changed. And uh, you know, they passed, I think 17 times against the Cowboys. That was it. Right. And that makes sense. This is like you, you reached a point in the, in the season with as many games in a row they lost. It's like, well, we, this is not time to prove what we can do anymore. This is a time to wait. This is now a time to win however we have to win. So if that's the mode we're in, then maybe, again, Ellis, you're saying, you're pointing out, maybe had, they don't have the, quite the personnel to do it all the time. But we may see a reversion to the Ravens doing what they know they can do best I already made my pick. I picked the Ravens to win this game. I just am very curious about the idea of the Ravens just being like, listen, man, we know how we can be, you know, like let's just quit messing around. By the way, they're finally getting healthy off the COVID stuff. And as much that it's, they've been a little lost. It feels like what you guys are describing. They've just, they've a little bit lost their identity, maybe trying to be something more than what they really are. And Monday night in a division game with the playoff race on the line, like it's no more messing around time. Like that feels like maybe that's out there for this Baltimore offense. And, you know, even though they're, I mean, they're seven and five 
I mean, the Ravens still have to make mistakes largely to lose games. They had four turnovers against the Steelers. They lost, they lost Mark Ingram, uh, I think, pretty early against the Patriots. And, you know, they went to overtime against the Titans. And that was a game they should have won that the Titans just made up a, a deficit at the end of the game. So it's not like this team has totally gotten to a point where they are no longer a team to be feared or a team to be considered among the, the top tier of, of, of the AFC but they're certainly not what they were last year and they're, they haven't been as consistent or I guess on fire as they looked in that week one game. Yeah, I completely agree. This game, as Scott pointed out, is going to come down to, because like Doug, what you just said, they're getting healthier and we're going to talk about how they're also getting healthier on defense too. It's a, it's a trend on both sides of the ball, but what isn't changing is what Scott said early in this dive. That offensive line isn't getting any healthier. You know, Ronnie Stanley's not coming back. They've got, one guy from week one on that offensive line. So if the Ravens come to Cleveland and win, it's not going to look anything like how they did in week one. It's going to be Lamar Jackson carrying the ball 15, 16, 17, maybe 20 times and just doing Lamar Jackson stuff. That is this Ravens best chance of winning football games and ultimately getting to the postseason. So probably for this Browns defense and Scott, I know you're going to get into sort of the, the matchups here. The second most dangerous guy, on this Baltimore offense, at least in terms of going against the Browns, right? If Lamar Jackson's number one, Mark Andrews is number two, and he's back. He missed the last two games with COVID-19. He's back off the COVID-19 list, and that is a guy that has to be at the top of the list of things that should make the Browns nervous, right, Scott? I think so, because the Browns still struggle at covering tight ends. I believe they were third in yards against by tight ends, and actually they're, they're fifth in yards against and they're third in touchdowns given up by tight ends this season. And of course, Mark Andrews had the two in the first, in the first week. And we saw how the issues, how many issues they had covering him in the back of the defense. So um, yeah, I would put him at the top of the list. And remember they, you know, they kind of got back on track against the Cowboys without him. They also get, I think Willie Sneed back. Uh, I mean, they're, they yep. basically have their skill position players back uh, after going through all the issues of the last few weeks. Okay, so that's going to be trouble. That's 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 no shock. But wh- what else are there matchups that might work out a little better in the Browns' favor when we think about this defense versus the Ravens' offense? No, they have no chance. That's the end of my deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's why Baltimore will score fifty. I'm Scott Patsko. Yeah. So there are a couple areas, and I know we just got done talking about how uh, this could end up being the the rushing battle. Maybe we didn't get uh, in the Titans game, but I think. The fact that the Ravens have had so many chances or so many changes on the offensive line puts Miles Garrett maybe in a better spot. Miles Garrett has never played well against the Ravens. In five career games, he has just two sacks. He's never had a PFF rushing grade, pass rushing grade. He's never reached 70. So he had five pressures in week one, and we know that, you know, Miles Garrett doesn't have to get to the quarterback necessarily to have an impact on the game. Uh, He proved that last year in week four when he demanded a lot of attention and the Browns were still able to win that game. But we've also seen what happens when Miles Garrett does get to the quarterback and that, you know, it just hasn't happened against the Raiders. Garrett rushed exclusively from the left side in week one, all against Orlando Brown, all 26 of his rushes came against the right tackle. Olivia Vernon, meanwhile, was stuck with Ronnie Stanley and then Fluker when Stanley went out, Vernon had three pressures on 22 pass rush snaps. Now Garrett is likely to see Fluker and or Tyree Phillips at right tackle and Fluker is graded at 49.5 as a pass blocker this season. 
but he's only allowed two sacks. And again, like we said, people aren't getting to Lamar Jackson at a very high rate at all. But he's tied with Orlando Brown for the lead and pressures allowed with 18. And he's played almost half the snaps that Orlando Brown has played. So Phillips, meanwhile, has moved over from right guard. And he's graded a 21.6 in pass blocking against the Steelers. He really had a rough time against them. He gave up two sacks. He was a 64.7 against the Cowboys. So Garrett figures to have more success against whoever the Ravens put at right tackle. But again, uh, it stands to reason that the Ravens probably aren't going to pass as much as they did in week one. But the Browns offense could end up uh, influencing that as well. I mentioned Tavier Thomas and his struggles in week one. So having Kevin Johnson in the slot is an upgrade there, assuming Denzel Ward come back. But I, I did want to mention the linebackers a little bit. Like I said, Taki Taki played 92% of the snaps in week one. Since then, the Browns have settled into a linebacker rotation that includes fewer snaps for Taki Taki and more for Mac Wilson and Malcolm Smith. Joe Woods, it seems, has a little better grasp on what the linebackers can and can't do at this point. You know, he was learning all that in week one and found out the hard way what people can and can't do. Goodson is still on the field all the time and probably in coverage too much, but he has improved over the second half of the season. I know we really got on him early, uh, one of our earlier podcasts, or early in the season about his lack of coverage ability. He's graded at 61.6 in coverage through the first six weeks of the season, but he's been almost at 70 since then. Actually, he was over 70 before the Titans game. So he's kind of turned the corner. He's not getting those grades in the 50s anymore. Uh, and not that he's gotten any faster, or, but he, he clearly understands, has a better understanding where he's supposed to be in the defense than he did maybe in week one. Woods also has Mac Wilson coming off his best game as a pro. Malcolm Smith has graded over 80.8 in coverage this season. Remember, he just played 19 snaps in week one, including nine in coverage. So being stronger in the middle of the field will be critical because, like we said, Lamar Jackson's passing game really thrives there. He was 9 of 11 for 110 yards with two touchdowns in the middle in week one. Having said that, Ryan Tannehill was 17 of 21 for 263 yards in the middle of the field last week. So there's also a potential for disaster on Monday because the Browns still have Sandejo and Joseph at safety. And both, like we said, were responsible for Mark Andrews' touchdowns in week one. But as we've seen over and over again this season, this defense seems to have a knack for making plays. It's the bend but don't break mentality or the the bend but don't break so much that the offense can't overcome it. Um, and the Titans game was a big step forward in proving that you don't really know what you're going to get from this defense, no matter what the trends are telling you. So it's a very different kind of attack, right? But it's still, it's two straight weeks of playing an offense that is run first, right? Mm -hmm. That Derrick Henry running it is different than Lamar Jackson and these Ravens backs running it. But I still think if I'm the Browns defense, I would rather face a run first attack than a throw it like crazy attack. Is that, is that wrong? That part of it here is okay. I mean, there are, Tannehill took advantage of opportunities. Lamar Jackson will probably take advantage of opportunities, but I just don't want to play. <laughs> I just don't want sure. the Browns to play Patrick Mahomes. Like I said, like I, I keep like, duh, but is there, is there anything for either of you guys? I mean, is there anything that what the, what the Ravens do in the run game with the three headed monster at tailback with Ingram and JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards. And then with Lamar Jackson, is there anything about the Ravens run game? And it was great against Dallas, right? That, that really should frighten the Browns. Like they can't stop it. Like, are, are, is it that good? Or is it like, well, no, the Browns should be able to handle it a little bit and they just don't want the quarterback to throw for 400 yards. Well, here's the, the problem. Uh, and, and they did, you know, they, they, 
you know, Dobbins and, and Ingram did not have uh, good yards per carry averages in the first game. The problem is if you're, and yes, you, you do want teams to come out and try to run on the Browns, but if your team's going to have success at some point, you're going to put that team in position to pass. And we've seen that happen to the Browns a few times this season. And the other team has had success and worked their way back or in, well, the Tennessee, I guess, is a great example of that. And the fact that they shut down the run game and then suddenly, oh, well, hey, here's this passing avenue to the end zone that we probably should have paid attention to from the get-go. And it works much better than, uh, than our run game. So, yes, the Browns want a team to try and attack them on the ground first. But at some point, unless they get run over, that team's going to start passing. I just think the strategy is let them run kind of well. Not too well, but don't shut down the run. Just so let them run for touchdowns. To pass. Yeah. yeah, right. Just let them score the, the, from the beginning. The issue with the issue with this is what Doug pointed out about, or excuse me, what Scott pointed out about the middle of the field. It's no secret the Browns have not had an answer for that area, and it's exactly where Lamar Jackson wants to go. Uh, I feel like since I got here in Cleveland covering the Ravens, it's all we talk about is, hey, Lamar wants to throw to the middle of the field, but it doesn't seem to change when he plays the Browns. The middle of the field's open. Ryan Tannehill did it last week. Mark Andrews is coming back. It's the one area Hollywood Brown can create some some mismatches. It's a terrible matchup. So, Doug, to your point, having them run makes a lot of sense. Of course, if, if it's Mark Ingram beating you or Gus Edwards or, I guess, J.K. Dobbins, let it be. But it's Lamar's strength with their best player's strength in Mark Andrews and the Browns' weakness in the defense. And, again, a desperation mode for Lamar Jackson when maybe some of those outside throws that they've been trying not working, he's just going to tuck it and run now. So you have a desperate Ravens team who are going to double down on what they do best Monday night. Okay, so then overall take on this side of the ball, does it feel like this Browns defense should have a decent chance to whatever, slow down, contain, to some degree, handle what Baltimore is doing? Or do you feel like more, no, like the Browns defense might be in trouble the Ravens offense really might get something going here. I mean, it just, just if you had to lean which way, one way or the other, Scott, which way are you leaning for this? I think there's much more potential for the Ravens kind of going off in this game as, as, than, than there is the other way. Um, and that's some of that might be based on, uh, you know, what happened in week one. But the fact that this Ravens offense is kind of back as full as it's going to be, you have all your running backs, you got your tight end back, you got, you know, your wide receivers back in spots. So yeah, I, I would lean more towards <laughs> the Ravens uh, going off than anything like what we saw last week against Tennessee. Ellis, which way is your lean? Yeah, I agree. I don't know if this is a go off game for either offense. I'm seeing like a, a mid twenties type of contest in a close game, probably a field goal, maybe a little more. Don't know which way I completely land on that. As you can tell with the spread, but point being, it's going to be a time when the Ravens look inconsistent because that's who they are. And then they'll pop because they're explosive in that way. And what it's going to come down to is can miles Garrett or an athlete like Mac Wilson make a play like this defense has been able to, and just put the ball on the ground and just have something happen. And that's been this defense's MO and that continues to be what swings games for this Browns defense. Yeah. Turnovers and the Browns offense. That's, that's the best defense for the Browns. Exactly. All right. It's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be a fun matchup on that side of the ball. It's going to be a fun matchup on the other side of the ball too. So thanks to Scott for that dive. We're coming back with Ellis flipping the field. 
Browns offense versus Ravens defense next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Doug, Scott, Ellis, diving in on the opposite side. Ellis Williams, dive in. All right, so as I tend to do with these, I want to give a, an overall view of the Ravens defense and just where they stand currently in, in week 14. So through uh, 14 games, they are seventh overall, 10th against the pass, and fourth against the run. We're going to get into why I think that uh, fourth against the run rating is a bit skewed, and these are all uh, football outsiders, DVOA metrics. Um, they run a base 3-4 defense uh, in the secondary. They, they lean on a lot of different coverages, and when you study their tape, they tend to mold their game plan towards their opponent. But they do lean on a lot of physical man-to-man coverage and cover three looks. And also important to mention, and the coaches, Browns coaches have been saying it all week, they're a multiple front type of defense. So you're getting confusing looks. Uh, that's the goal, create confusion at the line of scrimmage. Brown Sands remember the interception Baker threw in week one uh, to Clayus Campbell uh, uh, on the ground or, you know, hand on the ground defensive lineman, defensive end, who then drops into coverage. Funky uh, exotic stuff like that, the Ravens are comfortable deploying. Um, but as we detailed in the first dive, how these teams are not exactly who they were in week one, the same holds true for the Ravens defense. Uh, it's just not the same group. Uh both injuries and COVID have, have changed some things. Some key players have been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Clayus Campbell, who I just mentioned, uh, not only did Clayus have COVID, and it's been reported that he had one of the you know more intense uh, symptom- symptomatic cases on the team, uh, he also was battling a calf injury, and he just looked real stiff on Tuesday night. He's a veteran, been in this league for a long time, a big guy, uh, you know, 6'6". Um, a, a, a disruptor went well, but I just don't know where he is necessarily at. Like point being that ready to play new team, fresh Clays Campbell, the Browns had to get in week one is not who you're going to see in week 14, even if the same Jersey number is out there. It's not the same guy right now because of everything he's been going through. Uh, Jimmy Smith, cornerback, everyone's familiar with. He missed last week with a groin injury, still unclear if he'll be playing. And then Brandon Williams, their uh, nose tackle up front. A big run stopper. He's just been inconsistent all year. Uh, he might be playing a little too many snaps. Uh, he's not uh, grading out well. And that is a, a combination, again, of just this team being tired. It's been a strange year for the Ravens. They've had back-to-back seasons of um, success. And that is hard to maintain, especially defensively, as you now go through a really challenging uh, COVID season. They're just beat up. They look tired. And that's where we're at with this Ravens defense. So before I get into the ins and outs and some more specific parts of this roster, I'm just curious to you guys, what did, what did you guys make of the Ravens defense Tuesday night or just the Ravens defense as of late? I mean, we spend so much time talking about the offense. Is this a defense um, that you're still, you still fear just off reputation alone? Or what have you guys, what's been your feel on this unit? Uh, I would say you fear this defense on, on reputation, but I mean, look, you can't really, I don't know how much judgment you can make on a game against the Cowboys because, you know, <laughs> we saw what the Browns did to them and we've seen what the Cowboys have become from, you know, from earlier this season. And it's, it's hard because they, they haven't been the same team for a few weeks uh, leading up to that. You know, obviously you're not going to judge them on, on the Steelers game when their offense was, was having so sorts of issues. So I don't know. It's hard to, they're just one of, they're a team that it's really hard to put a pin into because 
of all the issues, like you said, that they've been through and the fact that they're just coming out of it right now. And maybe they got on track against, against the Cowboys, but we don't really know. And they're going to be going against the Browns offense that, you know, isn't, it's in a better place than it was in week one, I guess. I tried to look stuff up this week. Sometimes, man, the number stuff, I feel like you guys are in a secret society with where you find all these numbers. And I'm not in the secret society. Is there a site that shows how often teams play man versus zone defensively? Is that an easily accessible stat? Because I tried to find it and I couldn't find it. That I don't believe. There, I, there might be a couple uh, that do it that I don't subscribe to that cost tons of money. But okay. um, that's not something that's out there floating around for free that I know of. All right. I've looked yeah, you, you, yeah, you got to pay the big bucks for information like that. Or you do it the old-fashioned way. You go through the game tape and you yeah. uh, <laughs> track snap by snap, which is uh, something I'll be doing later this weekend. But anyways, to keep going on this. Well, wait, wait, wait. But let me say, oh, let me say my thing. This is my analysis. Even though I couldn't find any information, doesn't mean I'm not going to have an analysis. <laughs> it's just based on nothing. So two things that would make me – are, are make me curious that why what I still think about this Ravens defense is the thing you said that they'll give some exotic stuff, right? Which maybe will even Baker's still, I mean, he's still fairly new. So maybe that'll confuse him. And then if they're willing to play some physical man to man and that they're well coached, then that's a thing that some teams don't do very well. So that's the, the dividing thing for me of all the times we've talked about Baker picking apart his zone. If the Ravens aren't going to give him that chance as much as the Titans did, or other teams have done this year, then that is something that's in my head going into this game about this defense, even just regardless of personnel, that they're well-coached and they're willing to do it and try to force these Browns receivers into maybe winning some one-on-one matchups and Baker making some tighter throws. I think, maybe. Okay. No, Doug, that's actually real real accurate, and it's because of, though you don't uh, put mine to it initially when you think of Ravens it really does come down to personnel this unit just they just have athletes and I know I just talked about the a a couple guys on the defensive line being uh fatigued and tired but at the end of the day these guys are still just playmakers um Derek Wolf up front grading out a a PFF 83 overall he's played 465 snaps might be too many but again he's a guy who's out there every snap and getting stuff done Clayus Campbell when he's out there another guy 82 overall uh, but he's only had 92 run to run defensive snaps. And he, again, just has been struggling. Yannick Ngakwe is a guy we have to mention. Uh, he was acquired uh, middle of the season, right before the trade deadline from the Minnesota Vikings. And he's still finding his spot in this defense. And he seems like the type of guy who could start crescendoing late as he finds his spot in this unit. Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague asked John Harbaugh just about how Yannick has been doing. And, Harbaugh, of course, like any coach, raved about his guy, but really did stress about how he's getting comfortable and they're finding ways to use him. And he just brings another level of athlete to a defense that's already loaded with with guys who can make plays. Uh, One of those guys that you think would be a playmaker because he is that level of athlete, but he's actually having a pretty tough rookie year. Again, the Ravens running a 3-4 defense, so they've got, you know, four four linebackers or, you know, three linebackers and uh, multiple DBs on the field. Uh, it's rookie linebacker Patrick Queen. He doesn't come off the field at all. He's flirting with like 700 snaps. But his PFF grade, if you go look at his, his, his sheet, you know, across from like overall grade to run defense to tackling to coverage, it looks like a multi-block stretch of red lights. I mean, we're like just Matt seeing- Wilson's grades from last year is what it looks like. 
There you go. There you go, man. It is red, red, red. Um, and some low numbers. We're talking like 24s and 25s and 23s. Uh, PFF has not been kind to Patrick Queen, but again, he does not come off the field. A little more on him later. Um, edge rushers. They, they, what's interesting about the Ravens defense is I'm highlighting some key guys, and then we're going to get to their secondary, which I think is really going to have a lot to do with this game. But they just play a lot of guys, too. You know, outside of those key guys I'm mentioning, um, they just roll fresh bodies onto the field. Their edge linebackers, Matthew Jordan, Tyus Bowser, um, McPhee, they've got just bodies that they're comfortable putting out there, which goes to what the coaches have been saying all week about multiple fronts, multiple personnel packages. You don't really know who you're going to get and when you're going to get them. And Doug, that speaks exactly to what you said about being well coached. They're comfortable with multiple people out there in multiple formations. And that ultimately is to confuse the offense. So now just quickly for their, their back end names, all Browns fans are familiar with Marcus Peters, um, PFF grade of 60, but he still just is who he is. Instinctive corner, physical guy, a risk taker. I'm going to talk about that later as well. Uh, Jimmy Smith, again, missed last week, but is trending towards coming back. And he's a, a guy that definitely will, will, would boost the secondary because the best corner in this division is probably Marlon Humphrey. And when it comes to Humphrey, he's done a great job the past, what would it be, three times that this, these, these two teams have matched up when Odell Beckham Jr. has been on the field. He's taken him out of the game. The Browns have had success without Odell, which we've talked about against the Ravens. Uh, I think about Jarvis Landry having like 144 yards against the secondary last year. But now with no Odell, and now we're getting into the trickle-down effect of what not having Odell Beckham does to your, your wide receiver group, do they just slide – Marlon over to Jarvis Landry and say, Hey, when we're in man hump, you're on Jarvis and that take him out. That's your assignment. And we'll see if Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples Jones can beat us. Marlon Humphrey isn't a, a 100% wide receiver shadower, but against a team that probably has one guy you're definitely afraid of. I'm concerned. That's the game plan that the Ravens arrive with, with letting Marlon Humphrey do what he did to Odell Beckham jr. Now to just his best buddy, Jarvis Landry. They got good players, right, man? I mean, like they do, like they, they they have all the components. It seems like you're talking about. Well, they have good players here, and they're well coached. It's like, okay, well then, I guess this defense is really pretty good. I will say the thing that is at the forefront of my mind about this is when you bring up Yannick Ngakwe. That's a guy that we had talked about. Mary Kay Cabot has had been pushing. She would have loved for the Browns to have made a trade for him. First, he was traded from Jacksonville to Minnesota and then trade before the season, then from Minnesota to Baltimore in the midst of this season for a third rounder and a fifth rounder. And it's like right when Ngakwe got there is like when Calais Campbell got hurt and he's been out with the calf strain and the COVID stuff for the last month. And they really haven't had Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe like kind of together. And this just feels like to me of like, oh, this was the game where they finally got to do the thing where they have all the good guys together. And that's what it looks like. Like that feels like that's out there to me of everybody has some injuries. They've had the COVID issues. Everybody, no, no team is fully healthy by this point of the season, but they actually, I think the upside that they traded for when they decided to make that move for Ngakwe, they haven't really approached it yet for a variety of reasons, and it might be ready to hit that. And then they might look like something we haven't seen this defense look like yet. So that is in the back of my head. It might be in the front of my head. It might be fully in all parts of my head at the moment. Because, Scott, that's another, right? I mean, then all of a sudden, now you're getting after Baker. Now you're playing some man coverage. Where And now it's not impossible, but it just gets much more difficult for this passing game. 
Yeah, it's in the front of Kevin Stefanski's head and, and Alex Van Pelt's head for sure. And, you know, like I said, everything, everything about the Ravens right now seems to be pointing at them peaking and, and getting healthy and everything kind of coming together right when they needed to. They need to go on a run to make the playoffs. You know, they need these players healthy on the field to to beat some good, you know, the, the Browns, I guess, probably really the only good team they have left on their schedule. But, you know, they have to win these games to get in the playoffs. And at first I thought maybe they had gotten – they had made that deal just to keep him away from the Browns. But, you know, I think he's been on the field for what, 60% of the yep, snaps yep. since he's gotten there. And maybe that all changes now. Maybe, maybe this is when he's unleashed <laughs> on the Browns. Yeah. I don't know. Am I making too much of this Ellis? No, you're not. And as we've been working through this podcast, I'm starting to think maybe this is a, a perfect storm for the Ravens where they're getting healthy and getting back at the right time. And the Browns just landed a tough spot in the schedule. The flip side of that is, just because these pieces are back doesn't mean they're ready. I mean, you're coming off COVID list, you're coming off injury list, and now you're going to throw guys out there on a short week, mind you, and you're just going to play peak Ravens football. That's why they play the game. But the names are the names, and that's what frightens uh, guys, you know, Kevin Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt, that this is not the Titans defense that generated one pressure on Baker Mayfield, This, you know, that had corners that you are just going to be on out-and-up moves. If you beat Marcus Peters on an out-and-up, it's because – he thought he was going to have a pick six. It's not because he just doesn't know where he is and he's a lesser athlete. Those are calculated risks he takes. So when it comes to what this Raven, and quickly I want to mention Chuck Clark, Deshaun Elliott, two of their their starting safeties played 800 snaps. They're just solid guys. Um, Nothing that they do. They don't do anything overly special, but they're not guys you could exploit either. I want to get into what the Ravens defense struggles against, or at least what I think they're going to struggle against on Monday night. This is the first time in the wild world of analytics and data, you know, you can spin stuff so many ways. This is the first time I've ever disagreed and strongly disagreed with football outsiders in their DVOA ranking. Uh, as I said, at the top of this dive, uh, outsiders has the Ravens as the fourth best run defense. And to me, that just doesn't seem accurate. Uh, ESPN actually carries their win rate, the run win rate um, at just 24th best. So there's obviously a big discrepancy there. And then when you just go, as you guys know, I like doing, and, and anyone who looks at data and trends focuses on, it's just your last four games. And here's what the Ravens have allowed on the ground in their past four games. In week 10, they face the Patriots. As a team, the Patriots rushed for 173 yards. Um, then their rookie Harris had 22 carries for 122 yards on a 5.5 average. Then the Titans, again, 173 as a team. Derrick Henry, 28 carries, 133 yards, and a score, 4.8 average. Then they played the Steelers. We're not going to talk about that. The Steelers don't run on anyone, no James Conner, except they do run on the Browns, which we talked about you know, in mid, mid-season, got to watch the tape. But no James Conner, uh, a little bit of a different Steelers offense. So they only have 20 carries for 68 yards, strong performance there. And then this Cowboys game. Uh, the Cowboys aren't a great rushing team, but still 28 carries, as a team, 111 yards total, but Zeke had 18 for 77 for a 4.3 average. And now you're getting the best offensive line in football and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Nick Chubb to gash yards and then have Kareem Hunt clean them up close. That's how this Browns offense, I anticipate, they attack the Ravens defense to neutralize the, the secondary, perhaps freeze them up again, have some play-action chances, and quite frankly – just take Baker Mayfield out of having to throw into either confusing coverages or tight man-to-man coverage. 
And this is how we are talking about the Browns now that, again, I don't mean to keep sort of beating a dead horse here, but I do feel like for many, many years for, for anybody in the media, any Browns fan, a lot of times when you had discussions like this, it was like, okay, well then they're dead. And it's like, that's not what these conversations are like anymore. We're just saying it might be difficult. It might be hard. It might not be as easy as it looked last week. But I don't know that there's any conversation we have about the Browns sort of on either side of the ball in any way where it's like, well, oh, well, may as well not even show up because they're past that. They're a good football team. But especially in the run game, everything you're saying about the Baltimore defense can be true, Ellis. But then, Scott, is there not like or should we be at the point, Scott, that you just kind of believe with the way the Browns run the ball that they can do it? Yes, it'll be more difficult against some defenses than others. But should you have a static, constant belief in the Browns run game for all 16 weeks? I think now that you have Chubb and Hunt back out there. Yeah, you should have a, a big belief in, in what they can do. Um, but again, this isn't the run defense of the Jaguars and the, and the Titans. Baltimore doesn't give up a ton of big rushing plays. They're like 19th, yeah. Yeah, I think, point. In, uh, in explosive plays against on the run. And they really don't give up big plays in the passing game. They're second in limiting those this season. So it is a different story. Um, but I don't think there's a team in this league that's going to completely shut down the Browns running game. It's just how long can the Browns stick with it? And at what point does it not become – economical for them to be running the ball. You know, this team has been in trouble when they've fallen behind early. And then that running game isn't as dangerous as it, as it has been in other games. And we saw that against the Ravens in week one, the Steelers, you know, in week, whatever that was. So yeah, that that's what shuts down this run game really is falling behind early and having to throw. And Dallas, you jumped right on that when Scott said it, it's weird that part of this run game, they're so reliant on the big plays in the run game, but like they always happen. Like, it's like, well, you can't just wait for them to pop a big run. It's like, yeah, you can, because it always happens. But if you're facing a defense that limits that's a little bit, then that changes the equation at least slightly, I guess, too. It, it does. And I, I, I can tell you this with confidence. All a coaching staff can do is hope those runs pop. I, I've said on this podcast before, it's not like a, a, a coach calls a run play knowing it's going to go for 50. You're hoping these pop. And I think what the conclusion we're coming to here is that in the Tennessee game, Kevin Stefanski realized he had a distinct advantage in throwing the football. And the fact that the Titans were not going to pressure his quarterback and that their secondary was soft, especially against play action. And I wrote about this. At that point, you have two choices. Run the ball, do it effectively because you know you will, and play for a close game and hope your team makes enough plays down the stretch to, to win. Or just blow the top off, don't let Derrick Henry get involved, be aggressive, grab a lead, and – don't let go. And they, they held on long enough, of course, at the end there. Point being, this isn't – that opportunity doesn't present itself with the Ravens' defense. They're not – as Scott laid out perfectly there, they don't allow those explosive plays. So it's just not going to most likely be available. So instead, I anticipate Kevin Stefanski, Alex and Pell preparing, and collectively too with Joe Woods, preparing for a 60-minute game. Preparing, look, we're not going to be able to pop these big ones but we're going to chip away. We're going to chip away, meaning Joe Woods, you got to contain Lamar. We cannot be getting blown out either because then that run game disappears, but we're going to keep going. And by the time we get to that fourth quarter, perhaps that's when that Nick Chubb run comes. This is going to be the most comprehensive and complete game plan, both offensively and defensively, that the Brown staff is going to have to have in their entire season so far. I think everybody knows this. It's just, I think it's two really good teams that are pretty interestingly and equally matched in a lot of ways. And 
I think you just you want to advise people, well, don't get caught up in what happened in week one, which Scott laid out right from the start. Don't let that be your barometer. But also, let's not let the barometer be, oh, well, the Browns have a two-game lead on the on the Ravens. They're definitely better than the Ravens because we also mentioned the games that the Ravens easily could have won and had some weird stuff happen during this year, and they're probably better. I mean, they're 7-5. and five, That's pretty good. But they're kind of on the edge of the playoff race and in the thick of the playoff race when actually they're – they're not 14 and two Baltimore, but when they're healthy, they are still quite dangerous on both sides of the ball. So I just, I, I just, I'm just repeating the obvious, I guess, but I think too often with the Browns. So we don't, it's not the obvious because it's like, well, the Ravens are going to kill us. Or I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to get too far ahead of like, ah, oh, the Ravens stink this year. They fell apart. It's like, no, don't go into Monday night thinking that either, because there's just, there's just some good football about to be played. But but Ellis, what's the part of this Ravens defense that really is going to – what's the biggest issue for the Browns and what they're going to face with this defense Monday night? Yeah, so if I'm telling you all that I anticipate Kevin Smasty to have a run-first game plan, that means there's some stuff in the passing game that could cause the Browns issues. And it starts with the way Baltimore applies pressure – they blitz more than anyone in the league at like a 43, 44% clip. They're, they're not as efficient as they've been in the past at creating that type of pressure. But again, guys sent are guys sent. And whether they're getting there or not, the quarterback knows they're coming. And that can do stuff to you upstairs just as an offensive player. The reason this isn't a concern, and this is all from PFF. They, they had a great piece on how Baker Mayfield's been playing uh, with a clean pocket compared to under pressure. I'm just going to l- lay some stuff out for you guys here that paint a perfect picture of why this could be problematic if the Browns are facing third and eight, third and nine, you know, God forbid some third and twelves or something with a clean pocket. Baker Mayfield has a 90 overall PFF grade, a completion percentage of almost 70 yards per attempt at 8.4 and a passer rating of 115 under pressure this year. You guys 32 overall grade from PFF 38% completion percentage, his yards per attempt are cut in half all the way down to four, and his passer rating is a lowly 32. That's night and day. That's as bad as it gets with a quarterback either under pressure, feeling pressure. Scott has talked about it before, how Baker can sometimes create his own pressure when he knows guys are coming. That's where we're headed. Now, if this is a Baker who's took the step, you know, that jump, and we're going to see a new Baker on Monday night, then this, this, this is mute. This, is, this conversation's over. But if this is what the data shows and how the data trends, putting Baker in a situation to face the Ravens pressure heads on could prove problematic. Of course, the X factor here is Kevin Stefanski. What is going to be his game plan and his follow-up to what was his masterclass performance in Tennessee? Watching the week one game, it was just a different Browns offense. They were not booting Baker Mayfield nearly as much. They, and Scott, one of his first deep dives was just how there was a lack of play action early in the season. It didn't make sense. That's obviously not the Browns anymore. So this is most likely going to be a completely different passing game plan from Kevin Stefanski. But again, the numbers don't lie in terms of how much the Ravens bring pressure, bring an extra man, bring a blitz, and how Baker Mayfield just, quite frankly, falls flat on his face when that pressure is coming. Yeah, and, and the times even, depending, again, who's back for them, the times when maybe they get pressure without having to bring a blitz. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I just, I'll, I'll save it for my, uh, for my thoughts at the end. There's just a way 
there's a way that this game could go that makes me a little apprehensive a little bit. Um, but Scott, everything Ellis is laying out here, do you think in the end, Scott, that what would you say is more problematic for the Browns offense going into Monday night? Is it what they'll, it, will the Ravens give the Browns more problem in the pass game or more problems in the run game? What will the Ravens really shut down for the Browns? Well, if they shut down the run game, I guess it doesn't matter <laughs> what they do against the pass because the Browns are going to have to pass period. But I mean, they, they obviously been a better team against the run. So uh, if they're, if they're not getting those, those plays on first down, like Ellis said, and they're, they're getting into those certain long situations, the Browns have been a great third down team this season. That's problematic. I would say that, I mean, the running game, the running game is what the Ravens are more likely to stop. But I think it's interesting in how, like Ellis said, they didn't show the play action as much in week one, but we've seen this play action game of the Browns really evolve and change since then. Like, you know, they've gone from the big boots to the half boots or whatever you want to call it where they're at now. So if they do, they don't need to run the ball well to, to use play action, but they're at a point now where I think they have a better handle on how to use that play action, whether or not the running game is, is working than they might've had, you know, definitely in week one, week two, week three, because they've gone through this kind of evolution and they've dealt with teams kind of adjusting to it at this point. So, you know, if they do have to pass, I think I'm, I'm feeling better about the Browns offense uh, than maybe I would have uh, early on in the season. All right, Ellis. So I asked it for the first time, which way would you lean on this? Are you leaning that, the, the Baltimore defense is going to wind up with an edge in this game or that the Cleveland offense will? Yeah, this one's tough. This is tough. And I, I know I just went there at nauseam about how the Browns need to run the football, but I need to make something really clear. You run the ball to control the game, but you throw to win. There's going to be there, – there just will be moments in this game where Baker Mayfield's going to have to win and Rashard Higgins is going to have to win and Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to have to – catch a, a wide open pass and Jarvis Landry is going to have to beat Marlon Humphrey. And I think Kareem Hunt has a chance to exploit Patrick Queen here. So there are matchups, which comes down to how important the red zone is going to be. Rex Burkhardt had two receiving touchdowns uh, versus the Ravens in week 10 Patriots running back. He had four catches in the whole game for 34 yards, but two of his receptions were red zone scores really schemed up plays. So w- what I'm trying to say here is that, because of what Kevin Stefanski did against the Titans, I believe in his follow-up game plan. And this isn't going to be Baker throwing for 300, but this is going to be Baker right around 180 to 225 and potentially three scores at really critical moments in the red zone that end up being the difference. So let Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt control the game between the 20s and let Baker slice and dice in the red zone. And I think that leans me to advantage Brown's offense versus Ravens defense. That is, I don't think completely full strength yet, though they're trending that way. And then a few matchups that I think like Patrick queen on Kareem hunt that the Browns can find a way to take advantage of, but it's so tight. These, the athletes are scary. Cause here's one thing I'm really worried about. I'm worried about some outside throws. You watch these Ravens cornerbacks, Marcus Peters, uh, Jimmy Smith, they allow some, deep curls, some deep outs, but that's versus receivers like Corey Davis, AJ Brown, Amari Cooper, CD lamb, Michael Gallup, some real top flight athletes because they are respecting their separation. I'm not sure how much they're going to respect the separation ability of these Browns receivers. So if Baker goes to throw that quick out on the outside and Peters jumps it, 
I'm just a little nervous about that because he's a risk taker like that. And those are the type of turnovers that then swing games and everything I'm saying right now won't matter. But if the game goes according to plan and both teams take care of the ball, I like the Browns edging out the Ravens in the red zone and just making enough critical plays to have an advantage. All right. That's two good breakdowns, man. I hope you guys are absorbing this stuff before Monday night because you're going to be able to watch that game very intelligently if you took in those two breakdowns. So we'll come back with our last quick thoughts previewing Browns versus Ravens on Monday night. You're listening to Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, back on Gotta Watch the Tape. The thing that I am thinking about this game is that I'm, and I think I said it on our picks pod, I'm going to say it again, because I just think it's so important. I think that this game can be couched as, hey, it's Monday Night Football. It's the Browns' chance to show the world. I think this can be couched as, hey, they haven't beaten the Steelers and Ravens this year. They've got to beat these teams in the division if they're ever going to go anywhere. And I don't think either of those things really have anything to do with this game. I'm looking at this game as the Browns are hot. The Browns are nine and three. The Browns have figured out how they can win. The Browns just played a great game against a very good Tennessee team. And sometimes you lose. And this to me is like good, well-coached team X. I don't think the Browns are going to pucker because it's the Ravens and it's the division. I don't think they're going to pucker because it's Monday night. I just think it's tough to beat good teams in a row. And I just feel like this might be coalescing around a lot coming together for the Ravens. They are well coached. They do know each other. So the division thing might not matter a little much. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way, but my expectation is that this is a well-played football game and the Ravens are going to win by like 10. And I am just apprehensive about whether it's on a national level or whether it's some jittery Browns fans taking a loss and now they're nine and four they're still they're nine and four and letting it suck too much out of what has been a fantastic season so far because then they get the giants right away and the, the giants are all of a sudden look like a good team they've got to come back and play a good team again so this is just life how it works i just think this is must win for the ravens and everything you guys have said the ravens do have a lot of questions but it's like okay well what if Calais campbell is a little bit healthier than he's been mark andrews is coming back off the COVID. well they've missed the offensive line guys but exactly hasn't killed them either what if they get back to lamar just being lamar i just think it might all happen and the browns are like just the victims bad timing ravens backs against the wall kind of stuff and like we see the best of the ravens and the browns lose not because they did anything wrong but because the ravens are actually a team that's better than their record and they do a lot right so i just I'm not trying to give the Browns an excuse. I just want to lay out there, everybody like not going to bed, freaking out on Monday night if it doesn't go very well. So that's my thought. I don't know what you guys think of that, but I just like feel like I need to throw that out there. Well, I think last year proved to us that you don't have, the Browns don't have to beat the Ravens and the Steelers. They beat the Ravens and the Steelers last year and they didn't go anywhere. But I think it is important that they do play well. And like your scenario where they, where they're in a close game, they end up losing by 10. I think that, um, I think you come away okay from that. What you don't want to do in this game is have a repeat of week one or the first, you know, or the Steelers game where you come out and you just trip all over yourself uh, to start the game. And then you're chasing the whole time. And then the narrative becomes, well, the Browns can't hang period with, you know, with the Steelers and, and the Ravens. I, I'm not anticipating that happening, but I think the best case scenario is that it's a competitive game. And it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if the Browns win. It matters, like you said, a lot more if the Ravens win. 
Yeah, we're right at we're right at where we were after the Steelers game when I said optics really matter, and it's exactly what you just said. These you need to look the part, of course. Um, in this game, I'm very confident they will. And Doug, I agree with your argument in a <clears throat> micro sense that they don't need to win this game. I agree with that. But in a more macro concept, then that week 17 game becomes all more important just in a psyche standpoint, because I understand Scott, what you're saying. Like, yeah, they've beaten the Ravens here and then the Steelers kind of here and it didn't really matter. This regime hasn't, haven't done that yet. And if you go 0-2 and it doesn't look all that great against your two big brothers in the division, I promise you there's going to be a monkey eating bananas all off season on the Browns back. And that just is no way to carry and kind of damper what's been such a special season. So just go out, look the part and the rest takes care of itself. But there is a, there is a, a, a sliding door here that is worth acknowledging just because this is be the last time we're able to do it. This is, you know, we're on the cusp of Monday night football and it, it, it's here and that's why they play the game. And we're about to find out if it is a mental, more mental, or if these Browns are actually X's and O's and are just going to let their preparation take care of itself against what's been a, a challenging opponent in the Ravens for a, a long time now. And I will say I was noodling around and came up with a scenario where there are five teams tied at 11 and five in the AFC when it ends and one of them doesn't make the playoffs. And uh, it starts with the Ravens beating the Browns. This scary, stuff. scary stuff. I don't know what all the tiebreakers would be, you know, like who knows? I mean, like, you know, it's not going to happen. It would take like 19 different things to happen, but the, like the top, the AFC, I mean, it's just really weird. There's like, you know, there's like eight, if the Ravens went out and like the Ravens reaffirmed that they're good, yeah. then there's like eight quite good teams in the AFC. And then there's like a bunch of terrible, awful teams who are just giving games away. And it just could be like, it could, that battle at the top could be really interesting. All right. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. We'll be back again with the post-game podcast and the wee hours uh, Monday night. We'll have got to watch the tape. We'll see. We might delay got to watch the tape by a day next week. We're not going to come back and make these guys stay up all night studying stuff so we could do a podcast on Tuesday morning. So I think maybe next week we'll be more on a Wednesday, Friday schedule, but just stay subscribed. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed, the orange and Brown talk feed, and you won't miss anything. So read cleveland.com slash Browns. Listen to all this great podcast chatter. For Scott and Ellis, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.